how many of you are ready to get into the word this morning? If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. Short couple of verses for you this morning, verses 1 through 3. By the way, I just want to give a shout out to Jason Craveld, uh, my man, my good friend. I uh, appreciate it. He brought a great word last week, didn't he? A word in the desert. That was a good word. And I know that many of us need that word because the reality is, is we find ourselves in deserts many times. Now, I want to set up the context for you for the passage we're going to read this morning. Now, most scholars differ on who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. It's, it's kind of uh, what did Winston Churchill said. He said something like, it's an enigma wrapped in a mystery, and you just don't know. And there's been many debate over who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. I personally lean towards the side that Paul wrote it. And, and for the reason that there are several little clues in, or Easter eggs, if you will, within the book. And I think maybe personally, and this is just my own thoughts, that perhaps Paul was uh, disguising himself as he was writing to Hebrews. He was writing to his own people who had turned against him as he turned for the faith in Jesus Christ and became part of what was called the way. This was the movement that was birthed on the day of Pentecost and the church was born and the Holy Spirit came. Uh, Peter preached one of the greatest messages ever and 3,000 people came to faith that day, began this unbelievable movement, this organic raw movement of the Holy Spirit and people were coming to faith and the church was born. And now Paul, um, you know the story where Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. He's actually going to persecute Christians. He gets saved, finds Jesus, and now turns to this way. And so now the Jews hate him because he's not one of them anymore. He's one of them. He's, he's a part of the enemy anymore. So my theory is that Paul wanted to disguise himself so that they would actually receive the, the letter. So I think this is Paul talking, and I'll explain a little bit of my theory there for those of you who care. For those of you who don't, let's read the passage together and see what it has to say. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, 1 through 3. I'm going to read to you out of the NIV. I actually love in the, in the New King James Version, uh, the title of this passage is called The Race of Faith. The Race of Faith. And I think that's appropriate, and you'll get that here in just a minute. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Your word that encourages us, that challenges us, but mostly that changes us. Thank you that your word is alive and it's active. Right now, your word has the power to penetrate our hearts, even dividing soul and spirit, thoughts and intentions. God, I pray that you would do open heart surgery on us this morning. And God, specifically, I pray for those of us who are weary and tired. I pray for those who have gotten off track. I pray for those who have given up. God, that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come and refresh them and revive them in Jesus' mighty name. God, I pray that you would empower me, anoint me. God, I am dependent upon your anointing this morning. In particular, that you would give me the strength to preach this message that I believe is on your heart. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. It's your service. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Title of my message this morning to you is Run Your Race. Run Your Race. I don't know if you knew this this morning when you came to church, 
but you are getting ready to run. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready to run. I actually thought about, you know, I remember in the 80s, uh, they were kind of made popular by the rap movement in the early 80s, Run DMC. I don't know how many early 80s rap fans we have, but I grew up on a little Run DMC. And so, you know, that's my jam. But I remember, you know, in the 80s, <clears throat> what was in and Vogue was the tracksuits, the big tracksuits. So I thought about this morning wearing one of those 80s tracksuits with the big headband, you know. <clears throat> I thought that, you know, might have looked a little too Richard Simmons, I don't know. No short shorts, of course, but um, just to kind of get us in the mood to run. Some of you are shaking your heads, getting that, that thought out of your minds. Well, I, I've got something worse for you. I want to... Because... Um, when I think about running, I, I don't like to run. I don't know how many of you are, are runners, um, but I'm not particular a runner, and I don't particularly like to run. And I, I, for me, my whole theory on running is I'm running if I'm being chased by a bear in, in, you know, in Yellowstone or, or something like that, or a robber, somebody's trying to kill me. That's, that's when I run. Um, other than that, I, I kind of like, you know, like walking, and I don't really particularly like to run a lot, but I do like to look good and I like to be in shape. And so, you know, every once in a while, if you want to stay in shape and you want to look good, you kind of have to do some kind of physical exercise. Well, it was my 39th year on the planet and um, I was about to turn 40 in three months. It was the start of the new year. And you know how New Year's go. It's like, hey, you want to, you want to, you want to get all your, you know, New Year's resolutions. You want your goals for the year. And so you think about all that stuff, and rightfully so, and you should. And for most of us, you know, those things, they teeter off at about 45 days later. And uh, the gym is packed in January. By mid-February, you know, not so much. And so uh, a couple of the guys in the office that I worked at at the time, we decided we wanted to do a fitness challenge. And so we decided that we were gonna do this fitness challenge. And my boss, who was the fitness guy in the office, he was obsessed with fitness, he came up with this idea for the challenge. And the challenge was this, that you had three months to lose as much body fat as possible. Any way you wanted to do it, but you had to lose as much body fat as possible. And we would all chip in and buy this body fat meter machine. And which meant that every week you had to check in, we had to go in an office and we had to check our body fat, which was a little awkward, especially when clients or guests stop by. But um, so we agreed to this, but here, here's the catch. And here's, this is the part that gets a little interesting and, and maybe exposes your pastor just a, a little bit. So um, here was the catch. So the winner, the winner got bragging rights, but the loser, had to, all the losers, anybody who did not come in first place, okay? So there's no like, you know, second, third place. There's no, everybody's a winner. Everybody gets ice cream. You know, we're not doing that. So if you don't come in first place, you're second, third, whatever, you have to wash the winner's car in the parking lot of the office in a Speedo. <laughs> this was the punishment. Now, try to keep the visual out of your mind. I know I want to make the lady stumble this morning, or the sister stumble, as Pastor David would say. But, um, but this, was, this was the deal. But it worked because, you know what? I was about to turn 40, and I wanted to be in the best shape of my life. So I decided that I was going to do a running program. And I found this running program. In fact, it got even better. I decided I was going to run a half marathon. Now, granted, I had never run in my life. Except I did play football in high school. Um, so I did do some running for that, but that's different. That's running for a purpose, right? I thought running was just like, you just run to run. Like, what's, that's, no, that's no fun. Who does that? But, but I decided I was going to do this running program. And I was a little bit nervous about it because, again, I'm not a runner. I never run any long distance. And now I'm training for a half marathon. And so I do this running program, and, and, I, and it actually worked for me, where I couldn't hardly run a mile 
without stopping at first. In fact, I couldn't hardly run a half mile without stopping at first. What this program did is it broke it down into small pieces of running to where like you would run for a minute, walk 30 seconds, run for another minute, walk 30 seconds. And it slowly built me up. I ran on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays was a longer run. And I did this program and I stuck with the program. I did it consistently for months, for months, for months. And guess what? I actually started to get in more shape and in more shape and in more shape. And by the time I turned 40, I was probably in the best shape of my life. Along with that, I was doing some weight training and I was eating clean. Uh, for those of you who know what that means, but look it up, Google it. But, um, but I was eating clean, I was running, and I shocked myself because at the end of the three months, I could actually run a half marathon, which is 13.1 miles. I could actually run that, and I would have to stop a few times, but I could actually do it. And I amazed myself because I, I did something that I never thought was possible. And Paul now, relating it spiritually, is talking to these Hebrews. And he just got done in chapter 11 talking about the heroes of the faith. People that gave their life to the promises of God and believed in faith in, in the midst of impossible circumstances and situations, and that they didn't give up. They kept running, they kept pushing, they kept pressing in, believing in the things of God, that, that even in the face of death, some of them, had, Paul talks about those that were tortured and they were imprisoned and they were beaten and, and their heads were taken off and, and martyred and Abraham, the father of faith, he went to a country that he didn't know. He kept running, even though he couldn't see what God was doing at the time. And I think there's a spiritual lesson that God wants to impart to us through whoever wrote the book of Hebrews. But I believe through this passage that we read that, that the Christian life is a metaphor for this race. That it's a race, but it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's, it's not a one and done. It's not I raised my hand once in a service. I accepted Jesus and, and I got really excited about my faith. And for, for six months or for three months or for a little while, I was excited about what God was doing. I believed that God had something better for my life, that he called me, that I, he had a plan and purpose for my life. I believed that my marriage could be something more. And so for a little while, I stuck with it. I, I pressed into the promises of God. I believed in faith what God can do. I believed that I could actually break this addiction or this habitual sin in my life, but somehow it didn't work out. And here I am. And I'm still trying to run that race. I'm still, I'm still trying to beat this thing. In fact, Paul would speak into this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He would say to the church in Galatia, listen, you were, hear the language, you were running a race so well. You were doing so good. You were running. You were right on track. He said, but what held you back from keeping on following the truth? What held you back? How did you get off track? In other words, Paul is saying that somehow you were, you were on this path. And listen, let me tell you something. Right now, all of you, you're on a spiritual path. You're headed in a direction. And your life is moving towards something. And the question is, is it moving in the direction of the purpose and plan and promises that God has for your life? Or are you moving away from those things? Who got you off track? And what is it? What are the things that, that get, us, get us off track? I think there's a couple things that immediately come to mind. Number one, we get off track, literally. Like, we stop following the way. I love that the early church, they called the movement the way. And we know that Jesus himself said, I am, Jesus himself, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. And, and I love that, but for many of us, we simply, we, our lives get off track. Like, we, we forget why we're here and what we're doing. And I think that's so easy to do in our 21st century world culture and life that we live in. There are so many things pulling on us. I mean, my wife and I were just talking about recently about uh, youth camp, but how amazing our youth camp was. And every year it's amazing. And every year we think it's more amazing than the last year. And, and I think it is. I honestly do. And hearing the testimonies, I think it was this past week where at youth, the kids shared testimonies of what God did at youth camp. Can I tell you that I believe that there, there were life-changing encounters with the living God at that youth camp that can change the course and direction and get kids back on track for the plan and purpose and promises that God has for their life. But how easy, for, we, we talk to our kids, how easy it is to get back off track. Why does it feel like it's so much easier to get off track than it is to stay on? But it is. And all of us, we get off track in our lives and, and if we're not careful, in fact, it's interesting if you study aerodynamics and uh, my father-in-law is a pilot, but even one degree over time off track will take you far off course. And any good pilot knows that. So they're constantly looking at, you know, all the measurements that they need to make sure that they're following the flight plan. Otherwise, if they get one or two degrees off track over time, that can pull you farther and farther and farther away from the plan and purpose of God. And some of you might be here. Some of you might be watching online. Some of you may be in Eureka hearing this message, and I believe the Holy Spirit birthed this message in me to wake you up. I just got this vision, even while I'm preaching, uh, of somebody being flying an F-14 fighter jet and, and being in the cockpit and, and being blacked out and, and it being on autopilot and the jet just flying on its own, off course, and somebody's just like, they're knocked out. And, and it kind of reminds me of a, a Stewart, uh, Payne, Payne Stewart, famous golfer who, that happened in, in, a, in his private airplane that he was flying, that there wasn't enough oxygen, and so they all passed out, including the pilots, and, and the plane crashed, and they all died. And I think for a lot of us, our lives can be like that. We can... We can be asleep at the wheel. We can just let our lives go on autopilot, not realizing that life is pushing you in a direction. The world is pushing you in a direction. People are pushing you in a direction. And if we're not careful, we can get off track and get further and further away from the plan and purpose God has for our lives. The second thing that I believe we have to be careful of is we can grow weary. We get tired. You're running the race, but we get tired. We get worn out. We get worn down. Life beats us up. Things happen, right? Accidents happen. You get laid off from work. The market crashes, right, or goes down. Inflation increases. Things happen in our life, and if we're not careful, little things add up over time, and they wear you down. I, I personally believe it's, it's usually not the big things that take people out. It's the culmination of many little losses and many little things that are like gut blows over time that take you out. There was many research done over the coronavirus, and and the effects of the coronavirus, but in particular in the church, which was of interest to me as a local pastor. But I remember one of those studies was why so many pastors were leaving the ministry post-coronavirus. And, and what the research showed 
is that number one, pastoring is, is no joke. It's, uh, it really is not. It, in fact, insurance companies rank uh, the risk of, of insuring somebody as a pastor as the number five riskiest occupations right behind crab catching in Alaska. Who knew? So I'm pretty dangerous. I'm a pretty dangerous guy, right? <laughs> but my point is, it, 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 being a pastor is, is no joke, and it's the greatest joy, privilege, honor of my life. But I'll tell you, it's almost taken me out several times. I'm not going to lie. But in this article, what it showed was that it wasn't one thing that took pastors out. It was the culmination of years of little hits being backstabbed, people leaving, friends turning their back on you, you know, parishioners that, you know, revolt and try to get people to take over the church, whatever it might be. And we have, I have a wonderful church, wonderful elders, wonderful leaders, so blessed, couldn't be more blessed. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You have some amazing leaders in this church. You should feel really good. If you're, if you're newer to Hope Church, let me tell you, and thank God, he sustained me because I believe that God wanted continuity in leadership because there's something about momentum and God has, is doing something in this church and there is spiritual momentum that is being compounded over the years as there is solid leadership in place. And I'm not just talking about myself, I'm talking about the elders in this church and the leaders in this church, the pastors in the church, so I thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice, thank you for your love. I'm talking to you, Ron Brunk. Yes, thank you, you know who you are. But it's the culmination of little losses, of gut blows over time that they weaken us. They, get, they make us tired, they make us weak. And if we're not careful, the last thing is we get to the point where we just give up. We stop running, we stop believing. We just settle into this place and, 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 we, and we sit down on the track and say, you know, I'm tired. I've had enough. We get to be like Elijah just sitting under the broom tree. God, I've had enough. I'm done. Can't do it anymore. I can't believe anymore. I can't believe that I can ever get this thing out of my life. I can't believe for my marriage anymore. I can't believe for my family. I, just, I don't have the strength. God, I can't do it. I'm finished. And I think that's the ultimate tragedy because what happens when we get to that place is we lose hope and we just start existing and surviving instead of thriving in the life that God has for us. And I wanna, I wanna show you a couple of things through this passage of scripture that I think will help us. If you're here today and you feel like you're off track, you've gotten tired, or maybe you've given up, but you're here. And so if you're here, that tells me that there's some glimmer of hope in you that believes that God can get you back on track. And I wanna help you with that this morning. First thing is this, if you're gonna run your race, you gotta throw off everything that hinders. Now, in the New King James Version, what um, that version says, and the translators translate is, the weight and throw off or put off the weight that hinders you. And, and I love that that mental picture because there's, there's two things that I keep wanting to say, Paul, but I don't want to persuade you to my way of believing who, who wrote Hebrews. But there's two things that the author tells us that trip, trip us up, that, that keep us entangled, that weigh us down, that make it harder to run our race and ultimately to finish the race. And that's the goal, right? We're here to finish the race. Paul would say, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith, right? I finished the race. And that's what we want. We want to be finishers. We want to finish the race. We want to finish well. I mean, I'm getting a little bit up there in years now. And um, I know I still look like a young buck, but 
um, I'm starting to think about, you know, what I want to leave this life and what, what's, what's the legacy that I want to leave? What, what's the business that I want to finish complete before I pass from this life to the next life? And, and the, the author of Hebrews says that it's the weight that we need to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And so there's two things. There's sin, and that's the obvious one, right? We all know that. Sin entangles us. It trips us up. It's, it's like its tentacles get around our legs and, and prevent us from running, prevent us from moving forward into the things of God. And, and sin is serious business. And I don't know that we talk about sin enough in the church, but let me tell you something. It, it's, it's serious business. It will mess your life up if we didn't already learn that before we came to Christ, how much more after? And, and there's things even in my life that the, the Holy Spirit, even through this week as I've had some downtime, is putting his finger on and said, this is, this is kind of getting us, it's preventing you from running like you can run. And some of us were running like, you know, <laughs> that's no way to run. <laughs> But here, here's the thing that I think Holy Spirit really impressed upon me. <coughs> Excuse me. Lay aside every weight. Yes. What are the things that are weighing you down? What are the things that the accuser, who's Satan, your adversary, the one who's against you, who's trying to trip you up, who doesn't want you to not only run the race, he wants to take you off course, he wants to distract you, he wants to weigh you down, he wants, to, uh, he wants you to give up, he's the accuser because he wants to remind you and reap condemnation on you about how you're a no good, dirty sinner. How could you call yourself a Christian? You shouldn't even be in church. I'm surprised you didn't incinerate when you walked in the door. He wants you to live condemned. He wants you to live with this weight and guilt and shame of your past, of the things that you're struggling with. And he doesn't want you to understand he doesn't want you to understand the gift of grace. Grace is what enables you to run your race. Grace is what is the gift of God through the person of Jesus Christ that took on the weight of your sin and took it to the cross. And by the way, we just read, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. That doesn't mean it was fun for Jesus to go to the cross. It was excruciatingly painful. But he endured it, why? Because he saw the joy of you running free without the hindrance and without the weight of condemnation. Without the weight of sin, without the weight of the guilt and the shame of the things in your past, the abuse, the shameful things that nobody knows about, that the enemy just keeps putting on you and putting on you and weighing you down, weighting you down, weighting you down like whack-a-mole. Every time you start to come up, he just beats you down, beats you down, beats you down. How about this? How about the little things, the little choices that we make day in, day out that we don't even realize we're making and they're not necessarily sin, mind you, but those little choices aren't moving you in the direction closer to Jesus, but further away. Little by little, they're, they're getting in your heart and in your soul and just moving you a little bit further away. Culturally speaking, it's like the frog in, in, in the boiling pot of water where it doesn't even feel because the little degrees, by little degree, one degree at a time, it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and you're just 
accepting it now. And I think we are in this cultural hot pot, if you will, where if we're not careful in the church, we are called to be in the world, but not of it. And yet too many of us are too in love with the world and we are being... (laughs) We are being more indoctrinated and discipled by our culture than we are by Jesus. And what happens is through little daily decisions, and, and these are little mind, mindless, mind you, decisions that we all make just to spend 15 more minutes just scrolling through Instagram. Not bad, right? Not bad, but not the best. And what if the not bad is taking you away from the best that God has? 1 Corinthians 10, 23 in the Amplified Version says this, all things are lawful, that is morally legitimate and permissible. In other words, allowable. Hey, you can do them. They're not sin, but not all things are beneficial or advantageous. All things are lawful, but not all things are constructive to what? To character and edifying to our spiritual life and growth. So I would ask you, what are the things that are weighing on you? Just a little binge on Netflix, just a, you know, just one more drink. It's allowed, it's not, it's not anything wrong, right? Just a little look. But what direction is it leading you? Is it getting you off track? Is it drawing you closer to Jesus or further away from you? The second thing is this. You need to run the race that's marked out for you. Run the race that's marked out for you. And this is a big one. This is why you have to have have a greater plan. You have to have a greater purpose for your life, and you have to understand what God's purpose is for your life. Now, let me give you just a theological framework for this, because we talk a lot about, uh, even here at Hope Church, we have a class called Discover Purpose, and I hope that you will attend that class, because it could actually help you discover your purpose. But let me give you a nutshell. All of us as followers and believers of Jesus Christ, we we have universal purpose, That universal purpose would be to go into all nations and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I taught you. That is a universal calling. That is not just a calling for pastors. In fact, if you're part of Hope Church, if you're newer to Hope Church, you need to know this about Hope Church. We believe that every member, every partner is a minister, that there is no big gap between the clergy and the ministers. God has called me to do this, but God has called you to do what he's called you to do. He's called to run your race. But part of your race is the Great Commission. You've been commissioned by Jesus himself, not just the apostles. You've been commissioned. The second thing is, you've been commissioned to become more like Jesus. Your character. Your character matters. God cares more about you than what you do. And every one of us, part of our calling is being called to become progressively more like Jesus. Now, that, that's daunting, right? Just like me thinking about running a half mile, and I was like, I don't know how that's going to happen. There's no way. You're sitting there thinking, how in the world am I going to become like Jesus? Like, I can barely love my wife and kids. Like, how am I supposed to do that? Well, step by step, one foot in front of the other, one degree at a time. Paul would say in in 1 Corinthians, I forget the exact reference, but he would say, as we behold Jesus, one degree at a time, we are transformed to become more and more and more like him as you continue to seek him, as you get in his word, as you pray and seek his face. God, listen, Habakkuk 12, uh, chapter two, verses two through three in the message, listen to what it says. It says, then God answered, write this, write this, write it as you see this, write it out in big block letters so that you can 
it can be read on the run. Next verse. And the vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches, listen to this, it aches for the coming. It can hardly wait and it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait, wait for it. It's on the way. It will come at the right time. Habakkuk is reminding us, listen, you've got to know, you've got to run your race. How do you run your race? You've got to know what you're called to. Now that I've talked about your, your universal calling, let me talk about your personal calling. You need to know what you're called to. If you don't know what you're called to, if you don't have a plan, if you don't know your purpose, you're going to be running all over the place trying to, maybe it's here, maybe it's there. I don't know where it is, but I'm just running. But you're not actually making progress. You're not actually getting somewhere. Actually, that's not completely true. Because even when we take a side, uh, a side track, God always gets you back on track. And even in the sidetrack, sometimes there's something that God needs you to learn when you get off track, but he will get you by his grace back on track. But you need to know your purpose. How many of you, since we're doing the whole, you know, run your race thing, I, I thought it would be appropriate, of course, of course, to bring in chariots of fire. Dun, 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 dun. Let, let the song just start to permeate your being. Dun, 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 dun. But you remember Eric Liddell in Chariots of Fire, Listen, listen to what he said. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Can I tell you something? You have to know that God made you for a purpose. And the giftings, the, the personality type, your life experience, everything that God has put in you, he's made you to do something really, really good. You do something really, really well, and guess what? When you do it, you make God smile. You feel the pleasure of God on you when you do that thing because you know this is what I'm called to. So here's, here's my advice to you, because I know this can be very elethral. Like, yeah, my purpose, and where is that? And, oh, I'm trying to find my purpose. Let me tell you, start with what you know, but you have to define your finish line. Define your finish line. You can't win if you don't know where the finish line is. There's no victory without a finish line. Paul said, you know, we race, run your race to win. But what are you running for? What are you, I think that's a question for some of you. What are you running for? Some of you are running, running, running. You're busy, 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 busy. What are you running for? 1 Corinthians 9, 26 in the Amplified says this. Paul, Paul's saying, therefore, listen, I do not run without a definite goal. It's like, I'm not just gonna run for the sake of running. It's like me, me and Paul, we got something going on here. We only run if there's a purpose. He says, I only run if I have a definitive goal. I do not flail around like beating the air, like shadow boxing. Like I'm, I'm doing, expending a lot of energy. I'm expending a lot of life. I'm expending a lot of resources. However, I'm not gaining any progress. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm in the same place I was two years ago, three years ago, six months ago. And so he says this, so in the NLT, here's a different version, so I run with what? Purpose. I run with purpose. I run with purpose in every single step I take. I've got a plan, I've got a goal, I know what I'm running towards, and every step I take is taking me closer to that. So here's the question for you. What's your goal? What's your target? What are you running for? Now there was a man named Moro Prosperi. Moro Prosperi, I practiced that three times just to be able to say that to you. 
He won the gold medal in the 1986 uh, Summer Games in Los Angeles in, in the marathon. And he decided in 1994 that he was going to run an ultra marathon. There was an ultra marathon contest in Morocco. It was uh, over a, I believe, a 200-mile-long, week-long race. Week-long. <laughs> Talk about running. Oh, my gosh. That just gets me. I get anxiety just thinking about that. Seven days of running, nothing but running, running, running. But this is what this man did, and this is, this is what he was good at. This is what he felt his purpose was. Well, on day four of the seven-day-long seven race, Morrow went missing. Nobody can find him. Apparently, he ran into a sandstorm and ran off course 181 miles. Here's the craziest part. He ran for three more days. Three more days in a sandstorm, not knowing where he was, not knowing where he's going. And I share that story with you because I believe that's the case for many of us. We're running, 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 and we're not sure where we're going. And we're not sure how we got here or where we are. But we know we're not where God wants us to be. And we know we're not where we want to be. So how do we fix this? It's as simple, I believe. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. Oh, Pastor Lance, that's too simple. What do you mean? I mean, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Do you know what that word fix? Because here's the thing. Jesus is the author and finisher. He is the pioneer and the perfecter. He's the one that started your faith journey, your faith race. He's the only one that can perfect it. And you might be like, perfect. Man, I'm running so imperfect. I'm with you. Really, I am. Do you know what that word perfect means? Teletios. It doesn't mean perfect like you think it means. Doesn't mean you run your race perfect. Doesn't mean you've stayed on track perfectly. Did you haven't got tired? Did you haven't stopped running? Because at times we, we just give up. It means you keep going. It means I'm going to complete this race. But the only way I'm going to make it is if I fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm locked in. I am locked in. You know what that word, look unto Jesus, it's the Greek word, apharyo. It means to turn our eyes away from other things and fix them on something, on one thing, to turn one's mind towards one thing. Oh, Mary, 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 Mary. Your sister is worried about all these things, running around, doing all these things. But Mary has this one thing and it will not be taken from her. What was the one thing? She was fixed on Jesus' face. She was locked in in his eyes. Last thing, and I'll close is this. You can't finish your race if you don't find your pace. You can't finish your race if you don't find your pace. See, there's one, one thing I learned about running is this is every runner has to find their pace. And, and your pace might be different from mine, but if you don't find your pace, you, you run the risk of, of burning out, tiring out, and not completing your race. I know we're talking to my son, Jaden, because uh, they, they've done track and field a little bit. But I remember asking him, I think he did the, the 400 meters something, and what's interesting about 
a, a track, I studied this, an Olympic track is there's the start line and there's the finish line, but every 100 meters, there's another line. There's, there's, there, and there's also lanes. There's lines that have your lanes. So you gotta find your lane and you gotta stay in your lane. But the other thing is, is there's checkpoints. There's 100 meter markers, if you will, that let you know, man, I'm running too fast. I remember he said, Dad, he said, I think I, I turned it on. I got excited in the beginning and I started out and I was running so hard. By the time I got down to the, the last 100 meters, he said, I had nothing left in the tank. And I thought I was doing good and I was up in the front and then everybody started passing me. I said, well, there's a lesson to be learned there, son. You gotta find your pace. You gotta find your pace because here, as we kind of draw near to close, some of you, you're worn out. No doubt, you're tired. Some of you are off track. Some of you, you've either given up or you're right there. And the Lord gave me this message to remind you of this scripture. I want you to hear it. Isaiah 40, 31. Those Wait on the Lord. He shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings like eagles. And they will not be weary. And they shall walk, not faint. They shall run and not be weary. And then with the story some of you, uh, I believe you're right there. Maybe you've stumbled, maybe you've fallen. Another Olympic story, 1992 Summer Games in Barcelona. British uh, runner Derek Redman, he was running the 400 meter. He'd qualified first and uh, he was favored to win the race. Maybe many of you have heard the story. But it goes down as one of the most memorable Olympic moments in history. He started off great, was running good. He got into about his 200th meter and all of a sudden felt a pop in his hamstring. He pulled up lame, grabbed the back of his hamstring, fell to the ground with an excruciating pain. All the other runners obviously passed him by. But he was determined. In fact, there's this quote by him. He says, I wasn't gonna let the race beat me. I was determined to get back up and finish. And he got back up and he was literally hopping on one leg, staying in his lane to make sure that he wouldn't get disqualified to finish the race. He knew at this point, there's no way he was winning. But he's like, I am going to finish. As he was struggling, to get to the finish line, outruns this man, older man out of the crowd, runs onto the track, security trying to stop him, pushes him off. He comes up next to him, puts his arm around him, puts his arm around him. It's his father. He comes alongside him and he helps him. The man, Derek Redman, puts his head on Jim Redman's shoulders, dad, and just starts bawling. And his dad walks him across the finish line. It's one of the most beautiful pictures in Olympic history. Here's the best part of that story. It's the story of Father God. That when you're down, that you're out, when you're tired, you're weak, you're hurt, failed again and again and again. You've sinned and let it trip you up and you're down and out and you're finished. And you have a God that loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come alongside you and to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, 
to come along one side and say, come on, son, come on, daughter. We've got this. You can do this. You can make it. Because listen to me. This is, listen to me. This is way too important because it's not just your race. It's for your sons and your daughters. Because when you cross that finish line, you don't just win. You get to hand the baton. Say, come on, son. Come on, daughter. It's your turn now. My ceiling gets to be your floor. I want you to just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we just invite you now to come. track and you know it. So God brought you here today to hear this message so that you can surrender your life to him and allow the Holy Spirit to put your life on track. If that's you, just raise your hand. Say, Pastor Lance, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. to run again to get back 